am probably the last person who had ever expected to sit and give messages, or stand and give messages for that matter. I, <laughs> my background, I have a, uh, a degree in corporate finance. I have a master's in business administration. Along the, lo- along the way, I became a commission pastor with the Reformed Church in America. That's the oldest denomination in the United States. That's when Dutch settlers came over in the 1600s and bought Manhattan Island. That's when the Dutch Reform came to, to America. And uh, I'm currently an ordained minister with Morris Rilla World Evangelism. So along the lines, many times I've asked God, how do you line up corporate finance and MBA with ministry and all of those things? And believe me, it's, it gets confusing in the brain. But my wife told me that I should probably give you a little bit of my background before we start the message today so you at least know where this is coming from. Um, good enough? You like to hear stories? Well, we're going to have a few today. I, was, uh, I grew up in Denver, Colorado. Uh, my father, biological father, basically abandoned the family when I was roughly eight or nine years old. And so it was my mom, my sister, and myself. And mom had to go to work for the first time in her life because in that era and that age, um, you know, women were largely homemakers. Mom was a homemaker. And so she had to go out and get a job for the first time in her life. And uh, so needless to say, I became a latchkey child. You know what latchkey children are? They still call them latchkey children? Okay, so I was a latchkey kid. So my babysitter was I Dream of Jeannie, Andy Griffith, Gomer Pyle, Star Trek. And, and about the time I Love Lucy ended, mom would come home and it was dinner time. So every day after school, it was the same thing. Saw every episode of every one of those shows. And uh, mom eventually remarried a wonderful Christian man, but I, I grew up a little bit uh, feeling like an outsider. I went to six elementary schools. Figure that out. In six grades, I went to six elementary school. Actually, that started happening when I was in second. So that means from third grade through sixth grade, I went to six elementary schools. So I was constantly the outsider. Uh, always having to make new friends, always trying to figure out what was going on every time you walk into a new playground. You know, who are the bullies? Who are the nice kids? Uh, how are you, you going to manage this situation? So by the time I got to high school, uh, I was running from God about as hard as you could run. Uh, high school and college age, uh, I, you know, I didn't really feel a connection because I had been through a lot as a kid. And not an excuse, it's just a reality. And uh, won't go through my college years, but if you saw me in my college years, you'd say that kid's never going to be a minister. Never going to be a minister. And about the end of my college, I spent my, my senior year in France on an exchange program, my, my, my last semester, and came home from France, and my mom had moved, and her husband had moved to California, to Orange County, And I thought, great, get out of the snow. I'll go hang with them for a while, find a job in California, and try something new. And uh, on that road from Colorado, driving my car alone from Colorado to Orange County, I drove through kind of an area on the outskirts of Monument Valley. You've seen that in every movie, Under the Sun, the most beautiful landscape you've ever seen on the planet. It was close to sunset, and something in the back of my mind says, how long are you going to run from me? And I thought, that was a strange thought. And I just kept, you know, listening to whatever rock station was on the, on the radio. And as I got close to Las Vegas, 
it was, it was sundown and the lights of the city were all on. And I heard this, this voice in the back of my head saying, how long are you going to run from me? And all I could think to say was, I guess I've just stopped running. And I didn't think much, I didn't think much of the encounter until I got and started getting involved in a church in, in Orange County. And my mom knew that I wasn't big on faith, and, and she had watched Our Power with Robert Schuler every Sunday um, when I was in high school and college on the TV before she'd go to church. And she goes, why don't you try that church? They're kind of, she didn't call it seeker-friendly. I forget what she called it, but that's what she meant. Seeker-friendly. Those who turned away from God, that's a great place to go because uh, maybe you'll have a connection there. So I went, and the first Sunday I showed up, God has a sense of humor, because the first Sunday I showed up, I ended up sitting next to a college student uh, who had just graduated from the University of Kentucky with a degree in corporate finance, which is what I had. So we kind of hit it off, and we were having a nice conversation, and it was a nice message. I don't remember that much about it, but he invited me to come to the college group. And uh, the you know, kind of a college career group. So I showed up at the college career group and, uh, with him. And I walked in, and I was a little bit early because I got the time wrong. But there was a really pretty girl sitting behind the, the desk in the youth center. And I'm like, I had my eye on her pretty quick. I go, man, she's gorgeous. So I walked over, and I struck up a conversation. And uh, she, she was friendly, but, you know, kind of standoffish. She didn't have any idea who I was. And so uh, the youth group happened, and after the youth group broke up and we walking to the car, I made sure that I kind of saw where she was walking to her car so I could make you, you, the intercept. You know what that means? I, like, I'm going to have another conversation whether she likes it or not. So I walked over, and, and I asked her out, and she, she kindly turned me down. And I says, well, don't you like to go out to a movie or something? And she goes, no, I, I went through a tough relationship and I've decided to give six months to God. No, a year to God. She said a year to God. And I said, uh, I said, well, when did this year start? You know, I thought maybe she's 10 months in. You know, I was getting excited about this, you know, 10 months in. And, uh, and she said, she says, no, it just started a couple of months ago, so I got a ways to go. And I said, oh, and you know, we set our pleasantries and, and said goodbye. And then um, we just, I kept going to that group. I kept called to that group. And I'm sure a large part of it was this pretty girl sitting behind the desk was drawing me to this group. But God has a sense of humor. He will get your attention to where he wants you to be, whether you realize the real reason or not. And so about six months into this, I've really gotten involved in this group. My faith is starting to come back to me and, and grow in me. And uh, long about this time, we go on a youth retreat. Youth retreats are great for meeting your next spouse. I'm just telling you right now, they are, especially when you're in, in that college age. They'd, Shelby's laughing because she probably knows it's true. So we go, and this pretty girl that I'm talking to is currently helping out in the nursery today. That's my wife of, of 35 years. That's Gretchen. So I'm telling you, God has a sense of humor. So, you know, we, we go on this youth retreat, and I asked her out again, and this time she said yes. And our first date was seeing the Princess Bride. How do you like that? And that was in uh, January of 1987. She cut her year off, off. She cut her year short of giving a year to God by one month for me, right? Went to saw the Princess Bride, and then six weeks later, we were engaged. And now, six weeks later, we were engaged. And now 35 years, we've been married. 
And her father uh, is Dr. Robert Schuler of Crystal Cathedral, Our Power. That was her dad. He passed away in 2014. And so after we got married, uh, her dad came to me and says, well, how, when are you going to come join us? Come work for us. And I go, I got a degree in corporate finance, brother. I don't know anything about ministry. And he goes, oh, we got corporate finance here. We deal with finance all the time. You just, you come work for us. And so I thought about it and I says, okay, I'll give you a year. Because Gretchen and I were getting married. And I thought, oh, I'll give it a year. Got into it one year. And uh, a year in, I was getting ready to go back to work in the banking industry because I, I really didn't feel called to ministry. And about that time, God has a sense of humor again. And he gave the Hour of Power free airtime in Europe to air their television broadcast by a man named Rupert Murdoch, who owns Fox. You've all heard of Rupert Murdoch. He gave the Hour of Power free airtime in Europe. Well, that means a whole new set of shows that they had to build. And I always wondered why I watched all these reruns when I was a kid, because I had a, a hankering for television. So they said to me, why don't you help us build these shows for Europe? And so my year now becomes two years, because I'm, I'm helping out with this new calling. Well, by the time that second year came along, now I'm so into it that, you know, you're, I'm never getting out of the firm, so to speak. You know what I'm saying? And that goes along for 20 years. For 20 years up there, I, I produced and executive produced television, uh, ministry television around the world. Um, I produced over, I counted them up, produced over 1,100 television programs, 1,100 hour, one hour television programs in those 20 years, and edited, I can't tell you how many sermons. I have heard every Bible verse dissected by some minister preaching the gospel. It was no way Schuler. So I've heard lots of sermons in my life. Um, and it's just amazing how God works that I would ever be sitting in this chair. And then in 2008, the cathedral was going through difficulties. The financial crisis had hit. Nonprofits were getting hit. You know, finances were going down, especially large ministries. When your income goes down by 35, 40% overnight, that's hard to overcome. And for a time, because of my background, master's in business and corporate finance, they made me CEO for a time. And I figured out that really meant I had a big target on my back because the congregation didn't like me. The elders didn't like me. The board didn't like me. And the newspapers didn't like me because you can't please everybody all the time at the same time, right? You just can't. And so I would, at night, I'd go out and run. And, uh, I would run to relieve stress, and my running was complemented with complaint prayers. You ever prayed those? God, get me out of this. I don't care what you do. I don't care if family's involved. I don't care if family's not involved. Get me out of here. That's, that, you know the prayer. You pray, you've been there. You prayed the prayer. I guarantee it at some point in your life. And after a couple of months of that, one night I was praying, and I can remember it as clear as I'm sitting here today. I said, you know what, God, I seem to be complaining a lot as I pray. Maybe I need to shut up. Literally said that. Maybe I need to shut up and see what you have to say. And literally, out loud, like I'm talking to you, I heard, be still. And I did this. I was looking at all the houses around me, because I was on a residential street, and I said, somebody's messing with me. Somebody just said that out the door. And then I heard, out loud in stereo, all around, THX, you know, and know that I am God. And I just realized that God, for the first time in my life, audibly, out loud, spoke to me. That it, I heard the still small voice earlier, when I told you about that. This was different. 
I crumpled on that sidewalk and just, I was a mess. I was crying. And all I could think to say was, who am I that you would speak to me? And God says, you are mine. That took me out. I was like, wow, 20 plus years of working in ministry, and I finally heard God's voice out loud. And it changed everything. I went home that night, and this kid who grew up a Mennonite, that's my parents were Mennonites, this kid who grew up very conservative Mennonite who ran from that, and then worked in the Reformed Church in America for 20 plus years, I go to bed that night, and I start praying, and I find myself speaking in tongues. And I'm like, what am I saying? And every word that comes out of my mouth, no matter how much I wanted to speak it in English, was coming out in tongues. And I woke up the next morning, and my wife had already had a... a, Similar but different experience. And I told Gretchen what happened, and she goes, it's about time. You know, if he's going to use us for ministry, we've got to be on the same track, you know. And it just, it changed everything. And uh, right in the middle of all of that, uh, God introduced me to a man named Morris Cirillo, who many of you know, he passed away in 2020, evangelist of 70 years, evangelizing the world. And I'd only barely heard of Morris Rillo, but a consultant friend of mine says he wants to put a television program on, television again, he wants to put a television program on and uh, on prayer, like a talk show, like Jay Leno or, you know, any of the talk shows you see, except it's all about prayer. People can call in for prayer. And he'll have famous guests, no messages, no sermons, just interviews with famous people and some singing, some, some famous singers, and then have people can call in for prayer. But he doesn't want to do it at like the TBN studios. He wants to make a mark. He has to be done in Hollywood. I think you can do it. So I already had a full-time job, but I met with him. And uh, through God just gave me, has given me connections through the years. I actually got him into CBS Television City. We had a soundstage right down the hall from American Idol and Dancing with the Stars. We were on Studio 33. That was the old Carol Burnett stage. And it's currently where they film Bill Maher and Price is Right. It's that studio. And we did a show called Helpline. Over a million people called in for prayer to that talk show over three years. And I did that full time while I was producing Our Power. So I was doing two full-time jobs, essentially working 60, 70 hours a week. Don't talk to my wife about that. It was a lot of work. But anyway, that all led up. That was 2005, 6, 7, and 8. I produced a charismatic program for three years before hearing the voice of God. And in 2008, that's when I heard the voice of God. So God will take you farther than you ever thought possible. That's the lead into the message today. No matter where you're at or what your background is or how strange or um, sad, disheartening your background is, he will take you places you never thought possible and completely change your life. I don't care who you are. I've experienced it myself. I am living testimony to the power of miracles in somebody's life who never asked for them. Didn't ask for them. And now that I've started to ask for them, I've seen miracles unfold. We could spend two sermons just talking about miracles I've seen. 
So that's a little bit of the background of, of, of who I am. And since you know a little bit about me now, we're going to talk, talk about stories. Uh, sermons can be one Bible verse and you dissect it 20 different ways. Uh, sermons can be one story in the Bible and then you relate it to other stories in the Bible to kind of come to a realization. This is a little different. We're actually going to take this series of stories in the Bible that all happen within about 19 verses, right? And this is right out of Matthew 14, Matthew 14, 13 through 32. And I think you're going to like this series of, of stories because usually these, these series of stories are broken into three different messages because they sound so different. But I think when we tie them all together, it's going to be like a little movie. And what we're going to learn out of this is we have Jesus as our friend, Jesus is our healer, Jesus is our provider, and Jesus is our savior. We're going to learn that today very quickly. So the message this morning is a little bit out of Shakespeare because it starts with a murder, right? Herod kills John the Baptist. That's where the story starts. Now, if you don't know the story, Herod has the hots for his, his brother's wife. Can we say that, the hots? It's true, right? Let's take the mask off. It's true. Herod has the hots for his brother's wife. Now, John the Baptist, I'm not quite sure how, but John the Baptist had the ear of Herod, and John said to Herod, that's a bad idea. You shouldn't be doing that. Well, Herod doesn't like that advice from John, so he throws him in prison, right? And Herodias, who is uh, Herod's brother's wife, she's ticked off that Herod's been told he can't have her because she wants to be next to the seat of power. That's obvious. So while John's in prison, Herod has a birthday. And at the birthday, Herodias, that's the brother's wife, has her daughter dance for Herod. And I don't know how she danced or what she danced, but however she danced, Herod said, whatever you want, I'll give to you. That's how pleased he was. So use your imagination from there, right? And the daughter, prompted by her mom, says, I want you to bring me the head of John the Baptist. Herod does it. Cuts his head off and brings him in. And the Bible tells us, Matthew records, that uh, the next thing you hear is, is that John's friends bury John, bury the body, what's left of it, and then they go tell Jesus. Now that's where we're going to pick up the story. In, in Matthew 14, verse 13, when Jesus heard what happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Jesus is grieving. You ever thought about that? His friend, a very good friend, has just been beheaded. Jesus is grieving. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm curious about what Jesus said to God when he went away on that boat. What is wrong with these people? That's probably the first thing that came out of his mouth, right? What do I do with these people? They're killing my friends? I can't imagine the grief that Jesus was going through on that boat, praying to God. We don't think of Jesus that way, but think about him that way. How much compassion he had. What's wrong with these people? So, what do I do now, Lord? Do I go raise him from the dead? Is that what I should do? What do I do now? I'm sure he was asking the Father a lot of questions. 
Now let's 13, verse 13 continued. Hearing that Jesus had set out by the boat, by boat, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed, he saw this large crowd and he had compassion on them and he healed them. So mind you, Jesus goes away to pray because he's grieving his good friend who's just died. When he comes back to shore, he's greeted by a whole congregation saying, I need, I need, I need, I need, I need. Will you heal us? I don't know about you. What do you go when, when you go through the grief of a friend? The last thing you want to see is a crowd standing in front of you saying, yeah, come on into my home. I'll feed you. I'll make you dinner. You know, let's talk what you're going through. You're not in that place to do it. I'm not in that space to do it. But here's Jesus hearing the news of his friend who's died. And he starts meeting the needs of the people. What do we learn from that? Jesus is our friend. He cares about what happens to us. He cared about what happened to John. And Jesus is also our healer. That no matter what's going on around us or the circumstances, he's still there, ready to heal. And verse 15 says, As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And Jesus says, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Translation, translation is, Jesus is about to throw the world's first and largest tailgate party. Think about it. And they said, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. That's verse 17, they answered. Jesus said, bring them here to me. And he's directed the people to sit down in the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and, <laughs> mind you, took the five loaves and two fish, and he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people, and all ate and were satisfied. And there were 12 basketfuls of pieces left over. The number of those who ate were 5,000 men besides women and children. So I love the math here, because you've heard it said, uh, 5,000 men plus women and children, that's probably, what, 12,000 people? Maybe more? So I love the math. Five plus two equals 12,000. That's, that's heavenly math. As a corporate finance guy, I love that. Five plus two equals seven, but not in Jesus' math. Five plus two equals 12,000. There's not a single need that you have in life that Jesus cannot and will not meet. I don't care what it is. And with an ample supply of blessings left over. He'll meet the need, and then he'll bless you further than you thought possible in meeting that need. It's just a truth. It's right here in front of us. So what's your need today? You, know, it's, you don't have to shout it out. Just think about it for a second. Because I was sitting in that prayer room 45 minutes ago, and God says, whatever you ask or declare over the people today is going to happen. So I'm going to declare some things over you, and we're going to watch God perform miracles over the next couple of weeks, next couple of months. It's going to happen. So I declare, if you've had a financial need that's been driving you crazy, you've gotten yourself into a sticky situation or whatever it is, or just through life circumstances, God is going to meet that financial need in your life. Your job is to claim it and say, as Jesus said before he broke the loaves and the fish, what did he do? He thanked God because he knew what God was about to do. 
So now you've had declared over you financial restoration. All you need to do is thank God because he's about to do it. Does that make sense? Maybe you've had a relationship need and there's been no answer for it. Prodigal child, I don't know what it is. In the name of Jesus, I declare that need met over your life. All you have to do is claim it and say, thank you, Father, I receive that. That's for me. That word that he just spoke is for me. Receive it and thank God for it. And when you leave this place, don't walk out believing the lie. Because here's what happens. Something is declared over your life that Jesus is going to do for you. And the second you walk out the door or the second you step back into your house or your apartment, wherever you're at, here's what's going to happen. Ah, that word wasn't really for me. I'm not sure I believe that. God can't get me out of this. Or why would he do it for me? He does it for somebody else, but why do I deserve it? That's, what, that's the lie that the enemy wants to pour into your brain. Your job is to say, thank you, Father. I claim it. I receive it. I receive your promises. I believe your promises are real, and I believe they are for me. That's your job. And you will be amazed. <laughs> I can't wait to hear the stories. You're going to be amazed at what God does through you. Now, I'll give you an example. You don't just have to use my life. Here's an example of Abraham. God declares when Abraham is 75 years old, God says, I am going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars. Think about that. Ten years goes by, and Abraham still doesn't have a son. And all of this time, he's believing this is going to happen, but 10 years goes by and no son. So he starts asking God about it 10 years later, and God says, I made you a promise. You can go read the story in Genesis. God says, I made you a promise. That promise still holds true. I declare it again today. Another 14 years goes by before Isaac is born. Isn't that amazing? But 25 years earlier, 24 years earlier, God had said to him, through you I will bless the nations. Whoever blesses you will be blessed. Whoever curses you will be cursed. That's a powerful promise from God. And Abraham waited 24, 25 years for, to see it fully manifest. But he believed it. He believed it. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I have come that you would have life and have it abundantly. Jesus also said in Mark eleven twenty four, 24, whatever you ask in prayer, believe you have received it and it will be yours. Now, I've got some prayers that I have prayed in my life. Some are going on two or three years. Some are going on 10 or 11. Some are going on all the way back to 2008 when I first heard the voice of God. A couple of those prayers haven't been answered yet, but I've seen some incredible miracles on others. But I believe every single one of those things that I've asked for is going to come to pass because God told me they would. You just have to have, there's something called patience. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. You've heard that verse? In America, we don't like to be patient. We have microwaves, right? 
Come on, I can get an amen from somebody on that. We like microwave prayers. We don't like slow cook. Slow cook duck is, okay, it's been 10 hours, Lord, come on. To me, to us, that's slow cook. Sometimes you just have to pray it and declare it and keep declaring it and keep declaring it and say, finally say, Lord, I will declare this until the day you take breath from my lungs. Oof. When you can play, pray that prayer, powerful things will happen in your life. So anyway, immediately, verse 22, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him. This is after everybody's been fed. Jesus makes the disciples get in the boat and go on ahead of him while he dismissed the crowd. Now, I find that fascinating because normally leaders are the first ones out the door and those who work for the leader mop up, clean up the dishes and the plates and the baskets and all of that. Not in this case. He sent the disciples ahead and Jesus picks up after, dismisses everybody and makes sure everybody moves along. That's Jesus, our friend, our provider, and our healer. All in one, right there. And after Jesus dismissed them, he went on the mountainside by himself to pray. So he started this day with prayer. Remember, this is all one day. This is all 24 hours. From the time John, when he hears about John the Baptist until now, it's only been a 24-hour period. So Jesus goes on the mountainside by himself to pray. How important is prayer life in our, in, in Jesus is showing us how important prayer is. When he hears the news about John, he prays. After all of these miracles have happened and the five loaves and the two fish and the crowds and they all go away and he prays again. I found prayer to become so important to me that I didn't want to miss anything. So I stopped, I still pray like we prayed here today, but probably the majority of my prayer life, I'm actually sitting at a computer and I write my prayers down. If I ask God for something, it's in writing. Thankfully, my mother, in her infinite wisdom when I was in junior high and high school, made me take typing class. I can type 60 words a minute. Thank God, because I, God knew I needed to type my prayers. So I type my prayers. Every prayer I pray, every day I have a prayer log, and it's gotten pretty big. And I, and I type my prayers out. And if I hear God say something to me, because you've heard of two-way prayer, I listen for whatever God says, and I type out whatever God says. Whatever I hear God say, I type it out. And then I'll respond back, and I'll type it. It's, it's almost like I'm instant messaging with the Lord. It's exactly what I'm doing. And I, I type it all out. And there have been times when I've, I've been stuck with a situation, and I says, God, what do I do with this? And God will say to me, go back and read your prayer July 21st last year. I'll go back and look at it, and it's the exact word that I need from a prayer time that I had with God a year earlier, which I would have never had that ability had I not typed out my prayers. So a lot of, and, and if I go on a prayer walk, can't really type when you're on a prayer walk, so a lot of times I'll go on a prayer walk, I'll get back to my office or whatever, I'll take 15 minutes, and I'll, I'll retype the prayer, everything I can remember, everything I said, everything I heard the Lord say, and keep that log. Prayer is the most valuable thing you have in your life. It's more important than the air in your lungs. Whew. Whew. When you treat it like that, 
miracles will start to happen because you will document them. If you take the time to write your prayer, and the first time you do it, you may feel silly. <laughs> After about the fourth or fifth time, you won't feel silly anymore. It becomes an amazing tool for your life. So give that a try. Give that a try. So later that night, Jesus was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land. Remember, he sent the disciples on the boat and sent them across the lake while he dismissed the crowd. So later that night, the boat is buffeted by waves and the wind against it. Remember, same 24-hour period. And shortly before dawn, the next day, Jesus goes out to them walking on the water. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost. They cried out in fear. And Jesus said to them, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, come. Now let's stop right there. How far was Jesus from the boat? Because they didn't know quite who it was. They thought it was a ghost. They didn't, he wasn't close enough for them to recognize it was Jesus. That means, let's see, I can see everybody sitting in the back of the church. I can see Steve sitting there back of the church. I can see him pretty, I know that's Steve. Jesus was further away than that, unless the disciples were nearsighted, right? So how far was Jesus from the boat? Well, and when they said, if it is you, Peter says, if he's you, tell me to come to you and I'll come on the water. So Jesus had to be some distance from the boat. Call it 50 yards, 100 yards. I talked to some people this week and I asked them, how far was Jesus from the boat? And they said, oh, he was probably right next to the boat. And I says, but they didn't recognize it was him. He couldn't have been right next to the boat. It's not possible. So here's what happened. So let's see, where's the boat? Here's the boat. That's the boat. And Peter gets out of the boat, and he's going to walk towards Jesus. And he starts taking steps. How far did he get before he had doubts? No, think about it. How far did he get? Did he, did he get this far? Yeah, it's looking a little tenuous here. Did he get this far? Yeah. No, I'm still okay. Did he get this far? I know that's Jesus. It's got to be Jesus. It's looking a, little, looking a little scary. Maybe I could swim back in time, but I know that's Jesus. I don't know that I could make it. Ooh, that wave looks big. That one's scary. And he started to sink, right? Here's us. We have faith. God's going to do something for us. I got my eye on you, Jesus. I'm, I'm going to step out in faith. Uh, ah, that pain in my side came back. Ah. I thought Jesus healed that. I thought, no, 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 I'm going to believe. I'm going to believe for that healing. Ah. Don't have enough money in this month for my, for my bills. My bank account's empty. That wave looks pretty big. I got my eye on you, Jesus. I know you're going to take I know I'll be okay. Oh, got the phone call. I got fired. Oh, that wave's really big. Maybe that's Jesus. But maybe that's the boat. I'm going back. Right? 
How far did Peter make it on the water? How far do we make it on the water before we start to doubt? Here's the amazing thing. He saw the wind, he was afraid, and he was beginning to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. What happened? Jesus reached out and saved him. Here was the amazing thing. I thought about that. Jesus is some distance a day. Jesus isn't already running towards him. because Jesus is over there. I don't know how far away. He starts to sink. Suddenly, Jesus is like the, the transporter in Star Trek. Zoop! Right here. And grabbing the hand to save. That's the amazing thing about God. God will just let you. He'll let you deal with whatever you're dealing with. But the minute you ask him, the minute you say, Lord God, I need you, instantly he's there. Instantly. Instantly. You know what's amazing about the miracles I've seen in the Bible? All of these miracles happen, didn't come after they said, Lord God, I'm a sinner, please, you know, forgive me of my sins and cleanse me and then healed me. No, that's not what happened. These people in the Bible, all these stories that you read of all these miracles you see where Jesus did something, they didn't ask for anything. They just asked for help. All of that other stuff happened afterwards where they were so grateful for what God did for them. Lord God, I must be a sinner. You know, all that repentance happened afterwards. But in the middle of the need, in the middle of the storm, Jesus caused the healing first. And what happened? Everybody clamored after him, right? Now they're willing to listen because God did something for them. He met them at the point of their need right where they needed it. So if you've ever gotten in your head, my life's too screwed up. I've screwed up too much. A little or a lot doesn't matter how much. Get that lie out of your head that God's not going to help you because you haven't lived a perfect life. Jesus is not asking for perfect. Jesus is asking for willingness. He's asking for you to have some faith in him. Wow. So we started saying that this, this sermon was a little bit like Shakespeare. You start with a murder, right? Shakespeare actually said, Our doubts are traitors. They make us lose the good we oft might win by fearing the attempt. Wow. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught Peter and said, Oh, you of little faith, why did you have doubt? And when Jesus says little faith, I find that it's very interesting because I've heard this argument that God will only do things for people who have great faith. And he said little faith. But that's not true because Jesus saved him. Even in his little faith, Jesus still reached out and pulled him up, Right? Little faith. Sometimes all you need is a little faith, that mustard seed faith. That's all you need to reach out to God. Wow. So the worship team's going to come back up, and they're going to sing the blessing song again. And as they sing the blessing song again, I want you to just soak in the words. Mm. The blessing. The blessing. But receive it 
internalize it, saying this blessing is for you. Right? The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you. This blessing is for you. Right? He's pouring it over your life. 